What's going on, everyone? This is TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444 Fantasy Football. This is a rebroadcast of episode 78 from August 21st, 2018, where Holden, Kushner, and I discussed the differences in lineup construction between cash games and GPPs. For those that haven't signed up for a DFS subscription at 444 yet, you can use the promo code DFSMVP and get 25% off of your subscription. That code is only good for the DFS subscription. Just as a reminder, every Thursday throughout August, we will be dropping a new DFS MVP each week with a new guest talking about a new theory topic to apply to your NFL DFS season. And every Monday throughout August, we'll be dropping these rebroadcasts from a past theory segment. For now, enjoy this past DFS MVP from August 2018. Yo, microphone check one, two, what is this? The five foot assassin with the rough neck business. I float like gravity, never had a cavity. Got more rhymes than the one that's got family. No need to sweat our seniors to gain some type of fame. No shame in my game, cause I always be the same. Styles upon styles upon styles is what I have. You want it just to fight for, but you still don't know the half. It is DFS MVP alongside TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS for 444.com. My name is Holden Kushner, and you did it, TJ. You got me some tribe. I'm so happy. A little tribe called Quest to get us going just a couple weeks before the regular season starts. Yeah, you asked for it, and uh, I I tried to deliver whenever I can. So we brought it in with uh, Bugging Out from Tribe Called Quest's album, The Low End Theory, from 1991. And I checked. You asked if we had any Tribe uh, Called Quest. This is the third Tribe song. I think think they're now in the lead for uh, most time that artists has appeared on the DFS MVP intro. And all of those songs are on the Spotify playlist. Just search DFS MVP on Spotify or look somewhere on my Twitter. It's probably on there. Very nice. Now, just let everybody know, this will be another great show because we're doing stuff that is not talked about very often in the industry, at least guys that play as much as TJ do. And I play mm-hmm. quite a bit, but um, we're talking to the, the head honcho here, 444 DFS and TJ He's going to give you some tips. I'm going to chime in to building lineups this week. We're going to build some lineups or at least talk about how to construct lineups in cash and GPPs, the difference, maybe a little bit of similarities as well. All right, let's get into this here. Cash game guidelines, FanDuel, DraftKings. Um, where do we start when it comes to building a lineup on cash games? Yeah, we've we've talked a, a little bit briefly so far this year about lineup building uh, techniques, and and usually when people think about that, they they think about how it pertains to specific positions. We'll touch on that a little bit, but today uh, we're just going to talk about how to think differently about these cash games versus GPPs, uh, a little more theory based, and I think it should be very helpful. So when we're talking about cash games, uh, begins and ends with value, um, but you want to think about value a little bit differently and, and we've helped shape that uh, at four for four quite a bit. So the, the thing that people usually look to is uh, points per dollar, but the problem with points per dollar is it just looks at value uh, in a very linear way. And it often doesn't show us the best way to build our lineup at, as a whole. And that's really what we're looking for. The, the most obvious values with point per dollar is that we're trying to compare players across different salaries, um, but that's not always uh, the right way to do it because sometimes a, a $4,000 player might have the same point per dollar value as a $8,500 or, or $9,000 player. And, and that's based on 
our projections. So even though we know 444 puts out very good projections, it's not taking into account uh, the difference in that salary and the expectation of a player for that salary. Uh, so, um, so we're not doing point per dollar. What's the remedy for that? Yeah. Uh, the way that we do it is we've created our own uh, value metric at four for four. And instead of maximizing point per dollar, we're maximizing uh, point total uh, based on that salary based expectation and which players are uh, projected higher or lower than that salary based expectation. So again, going back to point per dollar, uh, you're almost never going to see someone like a, a, an expensive running back like a Todd Gurley as a better point per dollar value than a min priced running back. And again, that goes back to not paying attention to that value-based expectation. But oftentimes Gurley is a better value because having him in your lineup might lead to actual point maximization. So we are showing that with our value metric that takes into account point per dollar, but looks at it on a more uh, uh, position-specific and price-specific value. Just something that I have noticed over the the years with DraftKings and Mm -hmm. FanDuel, I almost Mm -hmm. feel like you can in cash games, even you have to, you can't follow the guidelines of just a floor because you're relying on touchdowns so much. I feel like it's that a cash game in FanDuel is almost semi GPP. Whereas in DraftKings, you can kind of build that floor a little bit more because it's based on a lot of receptions um, and mm-hmm. yards as well. So what's your thoughts on that? Cause that's something that I've noticed over the years and there are different ways to tweak your lineups uh, on both sites when playing cash. Yeah. Well, we always have to take uh, into account the scoring system that we're playing in as well as uh, the lineups that we're playing in and, and to uh, a similar degree, even though sometimes it's not as obvious what price range these players are falling into, because if, uh, if the running backs are more expensive and you're trying to, uh, nail down those game script uh, independent running backs, oftentimes that's going to lead to to a different lineup than someone that's just trying to save at the position. So like you mentioned on DraftKings, uh, a lot of times those those pass catching running backs, the Le'Veon Bells, the David Johnsons, uh, they're going to be way more expensive, but sometimes you're going to force them into your lineup, maybe on DraftKings uh, more than you would on, say, FanDuel, where those touchdowns do come into play a little bit more because of uh, the the scoring system, the half PPR versus full PPR. Uh, flex has a lot to do with that. Having a third running back in flex sometimes on DraftKings uh, give, can give you a pretty noticeable advantage over the field, uh, which can kind of mitigate uh, that that touchdown reliance as well. FanDuel is implementing the flex this year, so uh, we'll, we'll, it should alleviate some of that a little bit, but it, it causes some other problems that we talked about in past podcasts as well. Uh, so those things definitely factor in. So what about ownership in cash games? You can play the chalk, but you're also going to need to find a, a few really low owner, a couple of really low owned players in GPP. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but what about cash? How much do you have to differentiate yourself? It's something that you should at least be thinking about, but I, people still aren't thinking about it. And a lot of times it's still uh, the the best values. And often that that is the best way to think about uh, cash games, just whatever your best value. And you said a lot of people are thinking in terms of highest floor, but as, as games get harder and more information is out there and, and, and players uh, just naturally get better. And I think NFL is probably the easiest game to uh, probably they aren't good, but to, to have a natural uh, tendency towards a, a better lineup than some of the other sports is a little more intuitive. There's just so much football information, but uh, some things you have to be thinking about with ownership and cash games is how much lineup overlap is there going to be. Uh, so basically an extreme example is imagine that we have 
three or four uh, really great uh, values in a given week. Uh, maybe there's two running backs that are, are free squares and then two uh, wide receivers and, and phenomenal matchups that are affordable and you just two or three quarterbacks that are, are pretty decent values. And in those situations, we're going to have a lot of overlap. And if you're playing against someone else that's reading the same things uh, on four for four as you are, we're just going to be trading rake. So in, in a spot like that, we need to take ownership into account because it's if there's six really obvious values in a week, all these lineups are going to look the same. In those situations, we kind of have to think about um, – maybe players that aren't the obvious values but are expected to be higher owned, it might behoove you to play a slightly less popular play if you have them targeted as a as an equal value to someone that's more popular. I mean, this theory, this game theory has really changed quick too because, I mean, even toward mm-hmm. the start of last year, you weren't thinking about being even mildly contrarian in any way, right. shape, or form in cash game. Right. Just about, all right, let's look at a floor – Let's play it safe. We'll try and and now, well, you're saying it's so quickly things everybody things have just changed and people have caught up that the margin for error, the margin for more points is it just it's flying. It's astronomically fast. You're going to have to it come is. up with a new tactic this year and probably you know tweak things. You can't just go in doing the same thing you were doing last year and the year before that. Yeah, and we've talked about why this makes sense for head to head games before because. Obviously, if, if you're playing, say, 100 head-to-head games, the each point can be another win, and that means uh, more more dollars in your account. We've talked about why this might not make sense in 50-50s or, or double-up sometimes, because once you hit a, a certain uh, cash or point threshold, then you don't make another dollar. But in these situations, and, and sometimes it might just be overall now that information is spreading quicker, but... Uh, just in a specific week where, like I talked about, there's you're expecting a lot of overlap. Um, even in 50-50 or double up, you might want to take these uh, ownership considerations into account. And again, I'm not talking about the best values. If you have a, a, a min price running back, I'm not saying fade that guy in a cash game. I'm saying on, on your fifth or sixth player, uh, if, if it's a decent value that should be fairly popular, you might want to pivot to, to someone that you have uh, ranked similarly. That's interesting. And of course you can use four for fours. Uh, you, you got ownership projections there as well. Um, just, yeah. just going back to a little bit off script as far as cash games go. And I guess it does go back to, to Fandle. If you want to get your money in, because it is tough it, just being strictly a cash game player. It is tough to accumulate. It's tough to accumulate over a season. Like you've got to have, you can only have a couple of weeks where you're where you're not cashing because you're going to fall behind. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, you're going to have to cash in on some tournaments. But um, for me, the way to get volume in is those multi-entry double ups and fifty fifties. I mean, that that's okay. basically yeah. the only way that I'm going to have a chance to to make uh, is enough money to to move on and continue to cash every single week. Um, we'll get your thoughts on those. And if that changes the strategy a little bit, being in a multi-entry double up or 50, 50, uh, I, I might argue that, uh, you might want to implement these strategies a little bit more because if you're playing in these, in these multi-entry double ups or 50, 50s, a lot of times they, they aren't playing like double ups. And, and a lot of people would argue, uh, that the best thing to do is, is run trains in these tournaments. So taking just one or two lineups and maybe rolling them out 20 or 30 times. 
And just the fact that other people are doing that should make you consider uh, these slightly more high variance options because what's going to happen is say we have um, say we have 20 of the best players in the world uh, playing uh, 150 lineups each and, and, and a big double up or something like that. All of a sudden now we have 3000 lineups, but there's only uh, a variance of, of 20 lineups. They all just max entered one one train. Uh, now it's going to get closer to playing like a, a triple up or maybe even a GPP because there's just fewer lineups. So you're not going to recognize your true uh, expectation that the fewer lineups there are, it's going to be more high variance. So in those situations, uh, you might want to trend even more to- towards a, a low owned guy because uh, like you said, if you're only playing cash, you might need weeks where you have these huge spikes to keep you afloat over the course of the season. And you don't only do that through GPPs. Sometimes you do that by just sweeping cash. And the only way you could do that is if your lineup has a little bit of differentiation in it. So if you're always going all chalk, you're probably never going to win a hundred percent of your uh, head to head lineups. And if you have some variance across your head to head and double ups, if you're only playing chalk, very rarely that you're going to sweep those. So even if you're not playing GPPs, you can do some things to uh, increase your ceiling and and paying attention to ownership on these specific plays is one of them. Is it more high variance? Absolutely. It's going to lead to, to, to down weeks as well. But I want a chance to sweep the field. And and these strategies have done it for me before. There's, there's times where I've played 1,500 head-to-heads and lost two or three. <laughs> That's an- it's, it's rare. It's rare, but you want to give yourself a chance, right? <laughs> You want to be you, someone has to be the the top guy of the week, right? So you want to give yourself a chance to be that yeah, guy. Yeah, and and I'll also say this that um, if you're just listening to us because you're you're getting interested in DFS or maybe last year was your first year, I do not recommend playing in those high volume double ups. I if you are, I mean, we would love to see you play in that, but I think there's better ways to try and make your yeah. money because that is you. There's a lot yeah. of people that know what they're doing playing in those contests yeah and just understanding uh, a concept like running trains in, in a cash game like that uh can put you an advantage if you're a new player because these uh a lot of times these advanced players can can look at the structure of a tournament uh look at the player pool very quickly analyze is this a a, a week where i should roll out a couple lineups or should i roll out one lineup and again if if 20 guys are are maxing out uh, at 150 entries um, with very good lineups and they're, they're taking up a huge percentage of the field, um, then it's going to be really hard to recognize your true expected value. Uh, if if you can't afford to play uh, a lot of head-to-heads, then I would suggest these the large field single entry 50-50s are going to be your best bet as a low-stakes new cash yep, game player. Absolutely. And here's something else that um, we should talk about is starting with the best value. So back to the lineup construction, your cash, mm-hmm. your head-to-heads. 50 50 yeah. double ups you're still starting with the best values most of the time but you got to balance point to point maximization with value right so exactly narrow range of outcomes explain the narrow range of outcomes and why we want that in cash yeah this comes down to um building your lineup uh through volume and through reliable metrics that equate to positional scoring and and we've done a lot of work at four four that shows exactly which stats are most reliable and which stats uh equal fantasy points uh whether it be vegas lines or, or volume or or um or or red zone red zone work and there are times to 
sway from those even in cash games. But over the long run, uh, these metrics are going to lead to the most points. And if you're trying to find the outlier every week, you're probably going to find yourself with a, a lot of lost money. So we should pick and choose our spots very carefully where we're veering off the path that's proven to be profitable. All right. So all else being equal, stacking head-to-heads, equal ownership, lineup variation. So um, these are just some of the rules that you're living by, the rules to live by if you want to win. But stacking in head-to-heads, what's your theories on stacking in cash just 50-50s, double-ups? Yeah, this goes just a little bit back to the point of – looking for point maximization versus value maximization. And there's still a lot of uh, people that are are thinking about um, the point maximization in terms of the highest floor. And to do that, they're, they're avoiding these, uh, these these best values because they might be on the same team. So maybe there's a week where we're Ben Roethlisberger and and Antonio Brown um, grayed out as the best values at their positions, but we might, be hesitant to play them because general cash game theory says to raise our floor and that if they have, if one of them has a bad game, there's a chance that both of them have a bad game. But uh, even if you, we do want to play those, those uh, high owned guys, this is a way where it can give us some lineup variation. So I talked about, give yourself a chance to sweep the slate. If a lot of people are scared to, to play a quarterback and, and wide receiver together in cash, then maybe you just, again, we're starting with the best values, right? If Roethlisberger and AB are the best values, throw them in there. And again, it's high variance, but it, it gives you a chance to to sweep your head-to-heads or to be a differentiator if you're playing a, a multi-entry 50-50 or double up. And and it's not something you should force. Um, uh, again, it's, it's something that I do when the right situation calls for it. But it definitely helps, especially in head-to-heads where each extra point can be an yep, extra dollar. No doubt about it. So let's get into position by the position then. Um, in cash and exactly some of the traits you're looking for in a player Um, quarterback. We'll start there. Efficiency, right? Efficiency. You want, you want all about efficiency running backs. You want volume touches, not the case Mm -hmm. of quarterbacks. Yeah. So we'll just go through this uh, quickly. We've already talked about it a couple times on the podcast, but since we did talk about how we want to narrow our range of outcomes, uh, these are, these are my, my rules to live by. So quarterback, Efficiency over volume. It, a lot of times people look at these underdogs and say they're going to throw 50 times. We're looking at touchdown rates, adjusted yards per attempt. That efficiency is usually going to equal uh, fantasy points. Uh, obviously, rushing quarterbacks are going to help that out a little bit. I like to look at fantasy points per pass attempt to make sure you're taking out uh, the rushing totals because ultimately we're still trying to score fantasy points. So a, a, a quarterback that scores fantasy points efficiently, efficiently kind of rolls all these things together anyway. All right, so running back, you want you want the ball in a running back's hand as much as possible, and you want the running back to have the ball yep. in his hands inside the twenty, inside the ten, inside the five. Yep. Obviously, um, how much more important is it to target pass catchers in DraftKings as opposed to FanDuel? Uh, it's more important because of the scoring, uh, but you do have to remember also just thinking about going back to narrow, narrowing range of outcomes even though it's only half PPR and FanDuel, we still want our, our running backs to be involved. Uh, so it's not going to necessarily save your week if Le'Veon Bell gets 10 targets. But if you have players that are going to stay involved in the game, uh, if that bumps up your your win total from um, 35% range to 45% range, that's going to be very important. Uh, we still want to look at those red zone touches 
Obviously, if we can have it all in one, that's great. Um, but we want our running backs to stay involved as much as possible. And a, another way to do that is to target home favorites. Yep, home favorites. So wide receiver. You, you kind of want a nice little baseline there. You're paying for consistency. Um, but yeah. where can I find a little edge? Because I think maybe maybe somebody on the road might be able to might be able to give me a little bit of an edge if I'm I'm looking to differentiate even in cash. So people still get this wrong. I see it every single week, even really good players. And these going back consistent wide receivers, that means consistent targets and consistent targets near the goal line. But we every week we see the highest owned wide receivers are the players on the teams with the highest totals or the biggest favorites. We don't need that. Wide receivers actually see a bump in value when they're road underdogs. And that's probably because these algorithms, price and algorithms are Algorithms are taking into account expected ownership. We know ownership correlates very highly with uh, Vegas totals. So as that ownership goes up, expected ownership goes up, these consistent wide receivers, maybe an Odell Beckham in week one versus the Jaguars, uh, they see their price go down, but they're still very valuable because they're consistent. Wide receivers don't need good Vegas situations to perform. They just need targets. We see it all the time, uh, but there's always value on these guys. No doubt about it. So road dogs see a bump in value. And then, um, like you said, the scoring is not correlated with the team total. So keep that in mind too. Mm -hmm. Tight end. We're talking cash here. Tight end. And your general theory about spending money on tight ends. Tight ends are the most volatile position because they see the least amount of volume. And because of that, we want to spin down unless there's a huge value that, that lets us pay up for a Delaney Walker or Travis Kelsey or something. But in general, uh, even the best tight ends are only seeing two or three more targets than mediocre tight ends. So we're go back to narrow range of outcomes. Why, why would you pay for volatile volume? Spin down unless there's huge value elsewhere. There's even Kelsey and Gronkowski, don't see more than that, more the volume than the average uh, tight end on a week to week basis. If we compare it to the other positions, uh, no, because you have to think about even the, the Gronks and the Kelsey's are somewhere seven and a half to nine targets a game. Uh, whereas those top wide receivers are seeing double digit targets. So after we're paying for our running backs, which we should usually start at, uh, if we can get those high volume receivers and the, the other problem is oftentimes someone like Gronk is priced almost as a wide receiver one. You can get slightly more reliable production from wide receivers who don't need uh, necessarily favorable uh, scoring uh, situation like a tight end often does. I right, no more kicker in FanDuel. So I think the way that you're going to have to maybe get an edge is put a little bit more work into the team defensive special teams. I mean, because I bet you yeah. even to this day, guys will just get on there and they'll, okay, this team is playing a bad team. You know, the Steelers are playing the Browns. Mm-hmm. All right. The Browns stink. Let's just throw this. Yeah. No, not, I don't mean this right now, but yeah, you know, let's play the Steelers just because that's, there's, there's a way to get edges here. And sure. And the, to me, the simplest way, which team has accumulated the most sacks? I mean, that's not, it's yeah. not the most predictable thing, but I think it's more predictive than just about anything else. So what am I paying for when it comes to a team defense and special teams? Paying for turnovers, sacks, uh, and pressures. And uh, what we're really looking for is situations where opposing teams are going to be throwing a lot. I talked about earlier how there's the mistake that people want to pay for quarterbacks that are underdogs because they're going to be in a passing situation. Uh, if, if a team's a big underdog, that usually means that 
the defense is going to be able to to pin their ears back, get after the passer, uh, be in passing defense for for a big portion of the game, and that's negative for a quarterback. When the other team knows what you're doing, uh, when when defenses can just send people at the quarterback, those pressures are what lead to the turnovers, the sacks, and that's what leads to fantasy scoring. Uh, so that's what we're looking for, and, and being cognizant of which teams uh, will adjust to game script. Uh, a, a coach like Brian Schottenheimer has proven over the course of his career that even when his team's losing, he's going to continue to to run the ball. So that doesn't help us much just because the team's a big underdog. Say Seahawks are in a situation where they're eight point underdog. Uh, they might not be a good target because Russell Wilson's going to run a, walk, a lot and and Schottenheimer's still going to try to grind it out, even though it's probably not optimal. There's a negative correlation with opposing team totals. Yeah, the less points your your opponent score, the more your defense is going to score, and this is directly related to uh, to teams that are favored um, and to teams that that aren't going to give up a lot of points in in that given week. Uh, again, if if that opposing offense doesn't have a chance uh, to score a lot, they're going to find themselves behind and often be forced to pass. All right. So, anything else you want to talk about? Cash and fifty fifties before we we move on to uh, GPPs. Yeah, I, I think uh, again, just it's it's a balance, especially with so much uh, information out there. It's a balance of of point and value maximization. Now we're not just looking at the best values anymore. Uh, it, it, there will still be an influx of people that are that are newer, that are very risk averse, that are just going to go with these four, floor plays. Um, but but we want to think about what's going to maximize our our win total, and just because we have a a winning. Uh, win rate doesn't mean we can't have a better and always throw a cash lineup into a gpp by the way just yes that's a very good point even if it's not even if it's just a couple of bucks what happens if your cash game lineup just goes off you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself in the head tj that's a great reminder because again you you talked about we need to have those spike weeks to to keep our, our our season afloat sometimes and really it's it's like poker. I'm trying to break even between my heaters. Like it's going to be like I just want kind of that graph to just be up and down, up and down with huge spikes, not the other way around. Uh, and a good way to do that, even if you're not a GPP player, even if you're only playing ten dollars a week, throw your cash lineup into into the quarter, uh, the quarter arcade or something. Don't like forget that. it. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 a mistake. It's a huge the mistake I made early on, probably you know seven eight years ago, and I had this amazing fifty fifty lineup and. I was like, why did I not? Why did I not even throw this into a dollar game? And that was it. Like I learned it the yeah. hard way. But all right, so we're going to move on to GPPs. Before we do that, I want to remind you of our uh, couple other podcasts. Of course, my other podcast uh, I do without TJ, but you can hear TJ featured a lot. He's he's nice enough to cut some some spots for me. We put it in Fantasy First. So Fantasy First from four for four. I do a podcast uh, weekday mornings. You listen, subscribe. I just get you all the fantasy football news you need so you don't have to read the little nuggets. Basically, you spend more time on, on TJ's articles as opposed to reading just a little bit of news. <laughs> and then we got uh, John Paulson and Anthony Stalter and their most accurate podcast, which is just a terrific podcast if you want to rule in season long. But let's get back to DFS here. GPP guidelines. Where do we start? How about stacking? Stacking, 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 something you and I have discussed on this pod before, but I think it's worth it getting back into it in the context of GPPs. Yeah, uh, just in terms of, of how I go about building my lineups, we talked about uh, stacking correlations, but this is going to talk about uh, how I, I start my approach. Probably one of the most uh, off questions I get is 
how many players are in my player pool? Um, how many lineups am I making? I just people there, there's so much to take in when you're new to DFS, uh, that it can be pretty overwhelming, especially if you're someone that's starting with a decent bankroll and, and you want to play some of these, uh, these games where you can play a hundred plus lineups. Uh, I go with a top down approach. Uh, the first thing I do is I, I go through and I, I try to figure out which offenses I'm targeting and, and that's how I'm going to build out my, my GPP core. Um, so usually I'm going to target four to eight offenses depending on the week. And then I'm going to build my, my core around those offenses. So usually uh, I'm going to have a quarterback and, and a primary pass catcher or his main pass catcher, someone to stack him with a quarterback stack is where I'm going to start. And I'm going to have four or eight of those. And then I'm going to, going to go through um, and mix in some of those secondary pass catchers and other stacks. So not just having say a, a Philip Rivers and a Keenan Allen, maybe I want some Tyrell Williams lineups. Maybe I want some, some Philip Rivers just with Elvin Gordon, try to get all the touchdowns on that off. Offense. Uh, but but again, usually about four to eight of those, depending on the week, depending on how many lineups I'm playing, uh, and then just starting from there. Well, I think that's that's a great place to start because it's really easy mm-hmm. with so many players that um, maybe you're not doing as much research on your own because you don't have time and you're just and, and you're just reading around. Mm-hmm. Maybe so many different plays. There's so much noise you're hearing that. It, it just seems like you're focusing instead of four to eight teams, you're focusing on 16 to 18 teams and you're just like one yeah. or two guys yeah. from there. It's tough. And it's something you got to start doing though. You got to narrow it down. I, I like the four to eight. I mean, I'm more like four to six. I, I even tried just yeah. because just because I need to be more focused or my mind is going to go everywhere. I'll have six trillion different combinations and that's going to hurt me. So I think the four to eight. Yeah. Right, Perfect. Just build around certain teams that you think are going to go bananas any given week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that that eight number, um, it's it's almost rarely going to be spread out evenly. A lot of times, I'll have my favorite four to five, like you mentioned, but there might be, um, uh, say, there's a pass catcher that I'm in love with. Um, maybe it's a maybe it's a Tyreek Hill, and I'm not necessarily on the Chiefs offense that week, but I, I like Tyreek for whatever reason. Out of my 150 lineups, I might just make two to four uh, that include Patrick Mahomes because if, if I like Tyreek Hill, obviously there's some correlation there. So my absolute favorite players, I, I might just throw their quarterbacks in or maybe just a, a super chalky quarterback that I really don't like. I might just throw two or three of those super chalk uh, lineups in just to to maybe uh, save face a little bit if everything goes um goes chalky that week. All right, so it's often around a quarterback and a main pass catcher and then you can mm-hmm. do the secondary pass uh, pass catchers and then players behind beyond the offenses that you're targeting are going to fill out most of your lineups. So you got your core yes. and you're sprinkling it. Yeah. Yeah, so if if I start with say um eight quarterbacks, probably I'm going to have about um I don't know, maybe maybe three or four of his players from each team. So uh, I don't know. So now I have a, already have about a thirty-ish player core with my quarterbacks or and my offenses that I'm targeting specifically. Uh, after that, I'm I need to fill out the rest, right? It's not just going to be made up of game stacks or team stacks. So we're starting with those best values. Um, I, I want to mix best values with my personal under the radar plays that might not be that popular. So. 
I go back to the to the uh, the, the free square running back example. If there's a, a min price running back that that is uh, expected to be a starter all of a sudden, he's going to be one of my core players. Uh, and then I'm I'm going to go to my my leverage scores and my GPP value reports on four for four, and and those best values uh, those should still be your core. We want to mix in value, like we we don't want to go all contrarian at uh, in GPPs. A, a lot of people win. Most people win tournaments as big as a Millie maker with three or four players that are well over 20, 25% out. So you don't need all three radar plays. So a lot of times these offenses that I like a lot, they might not include the best players. If, if uh, Todd Gurley's a, a great value, but I'm, I'm not uh, necessarily on the Rams entire offense that's, that week, he'll still make up some of my core. Uh, so I'm going through and looking for those values um, and, and then looking for the players that I prefer that the public might not. So maybe a, a expensive wide receiver in a bad matchup or, um, or, or a, a price pivot, someone that's really popular. Maybe there's a $6,000 running back. That's really popular, but I like a, a $6,100 running back, which when in a situation that I think is better, that's going to be a, a core player for me. Do you, on a completely different subject real quick, uh, as far as we're building lineups, do you know anyone that just plays one lineup a week? And guy, I know there's guys that win doing that, but just one lineup, single entry lineup into cash and GPPs. Uh, the the I do know players that do that. Um, actually, um, some of my my closest DFS friends play a similar strategy. It's it's not often one, but it's um it's sometimes it's it's maybe three, um maybe one cash lineup and then two variations of their their cash lineup, and those are limited to situations where you're playing uh very high stakes very small um very small size tournament so mm. something like a, a 700 dollars 100 man uh it's okay to maybe throw your cash in there if it's single entry if it's a if it's a three max game uh probably you're with i don't know under 200 players probably you want to throw your cash lineup in there um and and make a couple vari- variations of it. Uh, I don't know anyone that that's playing lower stakes or, or that's playing high volume, um, like Millie makers that that's playing a single lineup. Mm-hmm. That's a big waste of money. Uh, <laughs> there's people. Uh, yes, there, there are people. I think one of the Millie makers last year played one uh, lineup 150 times. I could be wrong. I, I know someone that ranked high ran a 150 man train in, in, in the Millie maker. And that is not a wise move. That's a really good way to lose a lot of money very fast. Now there are situations where you might want to take one lineup um, and run a train in a qualifier because there's only one payout. And, and if it's, if it's a qual if it's a, a live qualifier that gives out five tickets, um, maybe you want to max enter all those qualifiers, but instead of mixing it up, you play one lineup in, in each different contest and maybe you could hit multiple tickets at one time. But that's a, that's a very unique situation. Well, maybe that's something we could talk about too, uh, playing for qualifiers because there's so many different games you can get into, but back to what we're talking about here, but building a lineup for GPPs at this point. So um, building your core, the, the players beyond the offenses that you're targeting are going to fill out most of your lineups. Yeah. You're mixing in the values with the under-the-radar plays. You're going contrarian at high stakes where players are more price-sensitive, and you're paying yeah. up for wide receiver and bad matchups. Get into that for a second. Paying up for the wide receivers in bad matchups because you're basically just targeting the best wide receivers even though they're going up against Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, I, one of the one thing we want to do in our – 
GPPs is widen our range of outcomes because uh, we want to give ours. This is where people really mix up the point maximization and the, and the win probability maximization. And, and it's, it's a little more intuitive in cash games, but in, in GPPs uh, having a lineup that is, is necessarily going to score the most points isn't the best matchup. It's you need, you want to outscore. Um, you don't need to have the highest score possible. You just need to outscore the other people in the tournament. And, and that's a, a little bit of a different mindset uh, because the chances of having a, a lineup that outs, outscores everybody might come down to uh, playing Julio Jones when he's $9,000. And that's very overpriced. If, if you're playing with a lot of good players, probably most of them are going to be off Julio because they recognize how much he can be detrimental to the lineup because of how expensive he is. But it's very rare that someone of Julio's stature is six times less likely to outscore, uh, say, Odell Beckham, no, regardless of the matchup. But sometimes the discrepancy in ownership will be that wide. Sometimes Julio will be 5 to 10% owned and, and, and Odell might be 35 to 40% owned. Um, it's very rare the case that, that they're that much uh, of a gap between those players and, and being the number one wide receiver. So those very consistent wide receivers – the position that has the highest volatility, the pass catchers, um, they're going to expand your range of outcomes. And usually it's these best players in a quote unquote bad matchup. Well, and that goes back to week one when you and I were talking about a little bit of a giant stack with Eli Manning and Odell Beckham, because it's the Jaguars and it's Jalen Ramsey and it's still Odell Beckham though on the other side of things. Exactly. All right. So exactly. And they don't need to, they don't they they don't need to uh be in a perfect situation there they're probably even if it goes bad that number one receiver is probably still going to get six or seven fourth quarter targets probably maybe even more targets than he usually does going naked qbs without pass catchers you're basically going to want a mobile qb right it's something i almost never do but i i wanted to address it when i'm talking about building my core uh because there are very rare situations where a court, you can account for a huge portion of a team's uh, touchdowns in a, in a spot, but not necessarily need all their wide receivers. It's it's, it's kind of rare, but there are teams that don't have a very concentrated passing game. And you could tell me a story where a, a Cam Newton, he might rush for two touchdowns, throw two touchdowns to two different receivers in that spot. Maybe it's best to not have a cam pass catcher. Uh, it's very, again, it's very rare. It's, it's not something I like to do, but it is a way to differentiate, differentiate your lineup. Go back to win maximization. If the only thing that you know is that 99 people in a 100 man tournament have a quarterback wide receiver stack and you can have one without a stack, you're, you're going to have a different lineup than everyone. You guarantee yourself you're going to have a different lineup. Uh, so it's something to think about. I mean, Russell Wilson is a guy. Rushing quarterbacks is what you're looking for. Russell Wilson, yeah. Cam Newton. All right, now don't laugh at me, but even Blake Bortles in, in a yeah, no, he's a, great a Jacksonville one. situation. And I just yeah. saw the story. I think it was like wide receiver by committee. It's so frustrating because they have these super elite wide receivers and Dee Westbrook and you know, Marquise Lee and even Cole coming on <laughs> any week. These guys could be. One yeah. one of them is going to be the guy to catch eight passes for 120 and a touchdown, and of course there's Leonard Fournette though. But you know Bortles, at a, he could go off. It it is possible, and he can also run a little bit. He's a guy that you might consider going naked QB because, I mean, if you want to lose money, or maybe that one time he's going to go off. So I mean, that's it's just, that's my it's, spiel it, on him. It, it, yeah, I mean, and it goes back to you don't have to build your core around this when 
we're, we're playing GPPs. If we're if we're max entering the milli, uh, you you maybe don't want to throw all your money just in on 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 four quarterbacks. So you can have your basic core, and then even if you have if you don't have guys that you feel like are super contrarian, throwing in a, a naked Blake Bortles all of a sudden gives you a really unique lineup. All right, ownership. This is where it comes down to a GPPs. So. Uh, we'll talk about the core positions first. Okay. What are we looking for in the core positions? And for the eight millionth time, let's just shoot down, shoot down the notion. I can't have anybody high owned in my GPP lineups because that's, that's not the truth. Yeah. You can have high owned. Yeah. After, so after I've done all this work, uh, I, I want to start thinking about how I'm going to build these lineups in terms of how many of each player in I'm, am I going to have? Um, so, we can do all the research on, on matchups and, and targets and volume, and we want those things. So obviously, I've, I've talked about why they correlate to points, uh, but we need to be thinking about ownership overall. We, we want to have a chance to be the number one lineup. So uh, for my, my core position players, my running backs, wide receivers, they're going to be my, my highest owned core plays. My most popular plays there um, are usually going to be somewhere in the 50 uh, to 60% max range. And those are usually going to be uh, my, my best values. Oftentimes it's, it's going to be uh, some of those, those cheap running backs that just make your lineup work. Uh, th- those are the exception to the rule. Sometimes if you have a, a min price running back, I know I keep bringing this up, but it's so important. Uh, you can go above your, your usual threshold. If you have a min price guy that you have in 75% of your lineups, that might not be, um, that bad of a thing, but those position players, you can start more. Um, so obviously it makes sense that you're going to play your favorite ones more often. Um, and you're, it's just, they're, they're more versatile. You're going to rotate them more into, to different lineups. Remember if I have, um, a, a Keenan Allen and a Philip river stack in one spot, I'm probably going to want to put Keenan Allen in some of my other lineups without Philip rivers, but I can't really do the other way around. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely. It absolutely makes sense. So, uh, that's one of the rules to live by. Uh, you you got to get your, the free squares, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. the the quarterback lowest ownership. Now, this is something where, I mean, are you really going to have a chalk quarterback on any given week? I suppose one is going to be owned more than others, but um, l- let's talk about the quarterbacks in the GPP and how to handle that because I I just feel, that, and I'm not going off of data here. This is my my sense is that you're not going to have chalk quarterbacks as much as you are with running back and wide receiver. Am I completely wrong? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, you're, you're not going to have to uh, do as much work to be different from the field at quarterback because so many are in play. You can only use one and you're not going to rotate your quarterbacks generally with your other stacks. So because quarterback ownership is, is, an, is generally going to be the flattest, like the highest owned quarterbacks are often going to only be somewhere in like that 15 to 20% range uh, that you don't have to do a lot to fade the chalk. Like these, again, these best value plays are the best values for a reason. So even if you don't want say Tom Brady in a given week, cause he's going to be 20% owned, you just put him in 5% of your lineup. So you're, you're not necessarily going with the chalk, but you're, you're giving yourself a chance uh, to have some outs. Like we, we want to have some outs, right? So uh, because quarterback ownership is low um, because we're going to roll out maybe five to seven quarterbacks. Um, we're, we're not going to have them in, in a bunch of different spots. We're, we're probably just going to have them in the spots where we're stacking them. We're almost never go negative. I'm sorry, a naked quarterback. 
Uh, and it, it just kind of lends itself to a, a lower ownership overall. It's just easier to manage relative to the field. All right. What about defense and tight end? It's similar to quarterback. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to have a, a few less, maybe, maybe only four or five defenses, maybe uh, five to six tight ends. But the, these are the, the most volatile uh, scorers uh, in, in terms of fantasy scoring. Um, but unlike quarterbacks, you, you can mix and match your defenses with different stacks. So I'm, I probably want to have um, a, a defense in, in all, if I have, I don't know, eight lineups of, of each quarterback. I'd like to put one of my favorite defenses there each time, assuming I don't have some kind of negative correlation play. You, you can't do that with your quarterbacks, like I mentioned. So because of that, the defenses and the tight ends are going to usually fall into like my, my favorite ones are usually going to fall into like a 20 to 30% ownership range, maybe like 35% if I'm really in love with them. But it's not as predictable as running back and wide receivers. So to go all in on those plays is pretty unwise. All right, let's uh, talk about ownership compared to the field. I want you to run with this one because there's a few there's a few particular points that you have written down here. Let's talk about that, TJ. Compare ownership to the field. It's the concept of being overweight and underweight, which is a term that you hear thrown a lot around a lot in DFS, but often is. Uh, either misunderstood or not understood at all, especially by novice players. And the point is uh, we're having a favorite player or fading a play. Fading a play doesn't mean having zero of a player. Sometimes it does, but I go back to to the Tom Brady example. If the Patriots have a, a spot where their offense is expected to blow up, you don't want to leave yourself with, with zero outs. Um, so I'm just thinking about it in terms of being under uh, overweight on the field. So if, if Tom Brady's expected to be 20% owned, maybe I only have 5% of my lineups. And then on the flip side, if my favorite offense to target as a quarterback that's somewhere in the in the t- uh, 5 to 10% ownership range, then I'm going to have that guy in 25, uh, 20% of my lineups maybe. So it's it's just a matter of understanding ownership projections, which we do at 4 for 4, uh, and and understanding that you have a, a portfolio that you need to manage relative to what other people are doing. Again, giving yourself a chance to be the highest score, not thinking that you have to have the, the highest possible point projection. Uh, how precise can you be with ownership with more entries? Yeah, it's it's kind of intuitive. Uh, if you have 150 entries, uh, you're going to be able to manage these percentages a lot more so than you will if you have five entries, um, you can't have, I don't know, exactly 15% of, of specific players if you, if you only have five entries. Uh, but this, this also points back to like, how big should, should your player core be? If, if you have a 150 person player core, it's going to be really, really hard to, to mix and match, uh, those players and, and meticulously manage those ownerships. Cause you're just gonna have such a big list. Usually the, I mean, this is a, this is a pretty big range, but just to, to give people an idea, if I'm max entering a tournament, my, my player pool's probably somewhere between like 60 and 90 players. 60 and 90 players a week. Yeah, and, and but I mean, there's there's maybe 20 guys that are only in 5% of my lineups. Um, remember, I started with quarterbacks and the offenses, and if, if I sprinkle in, if I have their primary pass catchers, some stacks with their best running back, and then some secondaries pass catchers, we're already at 35 players, right? And then if we go, if we have our top values, we're it's really easy. You're at 50 players already, pretty easily. Uh, and, and then you have a handful of players that you like that the field doesn't. 
How do you how do you use the optimizer? Do you have op- the optimizer spit out lineups that you're going to plug in, or do you just have the optimizer to to try and bounce some of your lineups off of to see if it if it matches the data that four for four has? Um, for for cash games, it's it's a little more towards the latter, where I'm I'm using it as a gut check to see if I'm building a proper balance of of value and um and, and point maximization. In terms of of GPPs, I'm using it more. I'm, I'm not necessarily using it to build my my player core or or gut checking um, my my favorite players. Outside of it includes a leverage score, uh, which tells you how players should perform relative to their ownership. But I'm using it in GPPs more to precisely manage my my uh, player share. So I'll start with again. I'll, I'll go back to my favorite quarterback. I, I say I want to build. I don't know, 25 lineups with that quarterback, then I'll put in all of my players and I could from there very easily manage my shares because it shows me exactly what percentage of, of each player I have in those, say, 25 lineups. All right, so let's talk about the leverage scores here and put it all together, yeah. TJ. Yeah. Using 4 for 4's leverage scores, all right? Wait, tell everybody about the leverage scores because if you don't already have the subscription to the DFS hub, you're, you're, you're behind, but... The leverage scores, use the four for four leverage scores, tie it all together for us, TJ. Yeah. So basically what the leverage score does is it takes all these GPP uh, uh, statistics and, and things to think about ownership and, and building my core and stacks. And and it it just gives it to us in, in one very precise metric. Uh, what the leverage score does is it takes expected ownership um, and and it bases it off of uh, uh, GPP winning odds, whether it's it's their their value, um, their their ceiling, their position, obviously their salary, and uh, it spits out an an implied ownership. So based on what the chances are that this player is going to hit GPP value, what should their ownership be, uh, and then it compares that to projected ownership. So based off all of our value data, we might show that that a player should have 25% ownership. Um, if that player is only projected for 15% ownership, it's going to give that player a positive leverage score. And then we can look at that. And if that number is one or higher or above one, I should say, then we should be overweight on that player relative to the field. And you can use this information a couple of different ways. You can look at the leverage scores and use it to select your player pool, or you can use it to take the player pool that you've built and optimize your pre-existing pool. And the uh, the optimizer is up, by the way. Um, yes. You want to play around with that. I already, I've already done it a million times. I'm just ready for week one to get here ready. So <laughs> some final thoughts. Again, I think... If you're just getting into it and you think winning big money, you just have to find all the players that that are going to be one percent owned. You're you're just not going to hit. It's not going to work. It's mm-hmm. that's, you have to you have to have chalk in your lineups and maybe super chalk. Maybe you got to have a ton of David Johnson or uh, Michael yeah. Thomas or whatever the heck you think it is. The first week you got to have in week one, you got to have a lot of chalk and you've also got to balance that. Find a couple of guys that nobody else is using. Yeah, remember those those contrarian plays aren't necessarily just guys that are one percent. the The way I think about it is, who do I like based on my previous research early in the week that isn't a popular play, and and sometimes that just means Julio Jones. He's not uh, he he's not anyone that no one is ever thinking about. He might be contrarian that week, um, and then a huge percentage of people that win the biggest tournaments have. Uh, three, four, sometimes five players that are well over 20% owned. Uh, 
you, you got to think about it this way. If, if a tournament has a hundred thousand people in it, um, a huge chunk of those players probably aren't very good, which means they're not recognizing value properly. So you still have an edge by playing chalk plays. All right. So moving on from that, um, paying up at wide receiver and mixing it up at flex. Um, and now you you introduced that into FanDuel this year. So it's a new way to be contrarian and it would be mixing it up at flex, which obviously a DK you've already been doing, but, um, mm. I, now in, in DK it, wide receiver, the correlations, there's the, the most points are going to be for PPR is going to be with a wide receiver, but mm-hmm. can you go contrarian on yourself and maybe run a tight end or running back out there, depending on the matchups in a given week? Uh, the tight end has shown to be uh, a pretty devastating lineups in the flex position on, on DraftKings. I, I don't think it'll change much uh, at the running um, on FanDuel. Uh, because there there just isn't much more incentive to play the the tight end position over a running back or a wide receiver. Those positions just score more points than tight end. What we have seen is a pretty equal number of running back and and wide receiver uh, plays at the flex position. Uh, so while overall in our lineup construction, we generally want to uh, expand our range of outcomes, which usually means paying up for pass catchers at the flex. Um, I think the the best way to approach it is to play your most contrarian plays there uh, because you're going to be tearing your hair out if you're trying to figure out, should I play running back or flex in a GPP? Uh, My suggestion would be to, what are your favorite plays that the field isn't on? Throw that guy in your flex. And then look in Vegas for the second tier. What does that mean? Yeah, uh, I think this is another great great way to be contrarian. Again, it's something I've talked about uh, on the pod a lot, but uh, something that that the public hasn't adjusted to yet. Uh, There's a very, very high correlation with uh, implied point totals and Vegas spreads and ownership percentages in DFS. So the the teams that are expected to score the most have the highest ownership. I think there's a huge value area in that second tier. Uh, If there's three teams projected for 28 or more points, those teams that are projected for like 25 to 27 points, I think that's where the sweet spot's at. Uh, Same thing goes for the spread. If there's a huge uh, uh, ownership on two teams with a, with, that are favored by seven or more points. I'm really liking those teams that are favored by four to six because they still have really positive situations, but really depressed ownership. All right, buddy, take care of yourself. This has been DFS MVP. We'll catch you next week. I know I beat a man if I cold yank the blood or R&B, but I can't and that's